0: you get through that whole song. And that third verse gets to my breath by the time I get to the end of the third verse. I cannot say that real quick. Oh that is a very fine song. right here. I don't know. Wait, this chair is. Okay, praise the Lord, it's good to see everybody this morning, afternoon, whatever time zone you're in. You know, to God, it's always morning, it's always night, it's always afternoon, it's always a new day. Because somewhere in the world it is midnight right now, somewhere in the world right now. Somewhere in the world, it is midnight right now. It is somebody's as hour. But it's also someone's sunrise. Amen. Amen. It's not just midnight. Come on now, relax. It is also somebody's sunrise. Amen. Praise God. It is somebody's time to rest. Time to relax. And it is somebody's time to shout and enjoy life and relax, amen. Praise God. With God He is without time. In a way, you know, he He acknowledges time. He tells us to observe what time it is in the the day and the night, and seasons, holidays. But it is also equally true, that, and even more true, that with God, every day is the same, that there is no time, that He is the Alpha, the Omega, the Eternal, the Ever Existing. Once we get into paradise, into the fullness of not only where we will live and receive as a reward, but also the fullness of what we were created to become, there will be no more time. Amen. Praise the Lord. In this life, we look at the clock. And dictate dictate our lives, dominate our lives by the clock. But in that future time, that eighth day, there'll be no time. We call it the eighth day, paradise, the new world, because it will be a new beginning. It is the day after the seventh day. Seven is completeness. It is the end of the week. Seventh seal and the seventh trumpet represents the end of this age. A eighth day would be a new beginning. But it would not be number one. It would not be the first day. Because it's just a continuality. Rather than only starting over, even though we will be starting over we will also be a continuality. We won't have a Sabbath anymore. So we don't have to start over to number one again. It's a continuality past the completeness, past the fullness, past the end of the week, past the end of the age, into an eternity, infinity. This is what we call. New heavens, new earth, eighth day in the symbolism of the last great day of the feast of Tabernacles, the eighth day of the feast, and why there's eight days of Passover plus unleavened bread. Now, Passover being your spring festival, and the feast of Tabernacles being your autumn fall festival, representing two harvests. Tomorrow, we'll talk a little bit more about two harvests on the day of Pentecost. Tomorrow is the great day of Pentecost. A surprise for Robert. got some homemade spice rum soaking. Of course, the rum itself is not homemade, but you can buy rum that's just plain white without any flavor. And then you can buy a rum that's called spicy rum or spiced rum. And then you can buy what's called dark rum. I read how to take your plain rum, add spices to it, and make it spice rum so you don't have to buy the spice rum. And even how to make it dark rum, which is really just extra spicy, they could call it, is what it really is. Plus, in the factory, they would age it longer. So I got that soaking. For tomorrow, and we'll probably tap into it tonight actually. And then tomorrow, there will be more spice to it after it soaks more. They say you only have to soak it only two days. Then you filter it if you want it to. If it's not spicy enough, let it soak a third day, they say. If you look at herbal tinctures, you usually have to soak it two weeks or a month. This is basically a herbal tincture. That only advise you to soak it for two or three days because it's not supposed to be a strong spice taste. In the dark, it's not super spicy, so you only actually soak it for only two or three days. The Bible tells us that for God's holy days, take our money buy what we want with it, including alcohol, and it actually says that. God encourages his people to celebrate this weekend is a weekend of celebration. It is a fiesta. And that is why I would rather call the holy days the fiestas rather than the festivals. Because festival in English, to me, doesn't really, it's not spicy enough of a word. It's not, it's not as celebratory as fiesta. That Spanish word fiesta really emphasizes, really gets down to what the Holy Days really should be, amen. And all of these words, they are only English and Spanish words. If you look at the Bible, the original Bible, it didn't say feast, it didn't say festival, and it didn't say fiesta either. These are all modern languages words. So we are just translating the ancient words into feast and fiesta. So we might as well just translate it into I mean feast and festival so we might as well go ahead and translate it into fiesta. That I really believe not only I believe that it's more accurate, but God believes it too because He confirmed it to me. That wasn't just my thinking. It was God's leading He led me to translate it as fiesta. And then after I translated it like that, He he confirmed it on top of that. Revealed it, led in the translation, and confirmed it, sealed it. Amen. So that's really God's choice, not mine. It was really God's choice. And I have no doubt about that at all. Amen. And once we get into the eighth day, it will be a fiesta forever. Amen. Fiesta forever. As it says on the shirt that God gave me as part of the confirmation. Fiesta forever. Amen. Praise God. Not siesta not forever, but fiesta Amen. forever. Amen. Praise God. Woo! Praise the Lord. It's time to shout. It's time to dance. It's time to celebrate. Woo! Praise the Lord. I'm crazy, Anna. Praise the God. you got a crazy pastor. Praise the Lord. We don't need a bunch of sourpusses. What we need is celebration. Amen? We don't need prunes. We need fiestas. Amen. Praise the Lord. With all that said, let's go in prayer. Amen. Praise God. Uh, God is so good to us. Brother Meekness is over there, and he is hollering at a fountain. Praise the Lord. Let's go in prayer. Lord Heavenly Father, you are so good to us, Father. Thank you for allowing us to celebrate, for warning us to celebrate, and for telling us to celebrate. Some of us, Father, we need to be told to celebrate. Father, we thank you, Lord, for your goodness. We thank you, Lord, that you want us to rejoice. You want us to enjoy life. Praise your holy name. Thank you for giving us this special weekend of not only one day, but two days in a row to worship you and celebrate and to rest and to get away from all the world's problems and troubles. Put our minds upon you and your goodness to fellowship with one another. to Observe your fiestas. Praise your holy name. Father, we ask, Lord, for forgiveness of our sins. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us to grow more in the truth. Please help us to let go of all the false doctrines of Babylon and the false thinking. Please let us let go of any legalism that might be hindering us. Please help us to let go of any paranoia, of any wrongful fear that might be hindering us. Please help us to celebrate. Please help us to rejoice and to be thankful. For this life and for all your blessings and provisions please help us Lord for tomorrow for the sermon for the services good night's sleep and to wake up on time and to be here in services with everybody else on time please help us to grow together as a family this help us to get to know one one each other better Father, we lift up to you all of our new brothers and sisters that are coming into the flock right now. We know, Lord, that you're calling people to yourself, and we need more brothers and more sisters, worldwide and locally. We lift up to you all the new people from India, from Algeria, and from across the world, South Africa and the Philippines. We ask, Lord, that you would grow this congregation for your own glory, for people's deliverance and salvation. We lift up to you this entire ministry, the work of the Alpha and Omega Bible. We lift up to you, Brother Meekness, Sister Kiki, Brother AJ, Sister Brittany, Brother Kareem, Brother Peter, Brother Russell brother Robert, brother B.J. in India. We lift up to you Andrew in South Africa and Gordon in the nation of France and the new brother named Ehud from Algeria and his family in that congregation. We lift up to you the our brothers in prison, Jonathan, Martin, Augustine, and Yogi. We lift up to you Pastor Tim, and we lift up to you everyone that we may have left out of that list. You know every one of them. We lift up to you the Cincinnati radio broadcasts and the MeWe groups and the newsletter and all the projects, all the different projects and tasks of the ministry. We pray that your spirit and your will prevail in all of this in all of us, in one body, in one faith, in one baptism, in Jesus Christ, our Lord. May you will prevail in all of this, in Jesus' name. Amen. Praise God. Amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. Let's turn to the book of actions or deeds. The book of Acts. The book of Acts. Why is it called the book of Acts? Have you ever thought about that? It is the Acts of the Apostles. It is the actions, the travels, the activities, the things that they did in that first century church. Amen. That's why it's called Acts, the actions, activities of the Apostles. <clears throat> Amen. Praise the Lord. Acts 19 is where we're going to start. Today is the eighth day of the third month in God's calendar. This was written by Dr. Luke, and he was a doctor. He was the only Gentile that wrote a book of the New Testament. And he was from Syria. Dr. Luke from Syria. Acts 19. Now today's topic is the Holy Ghost is separate from the Holy Spirit. I'm going to prove that to you from Scripture. And I will give you solid, undeniable proof. You will never doubt it again. There's already an article about this. There's been an article about this for years. But I feel like that A lot of the truth is so different from what the false churches have taught us all of our lives that we have to refresh our minds, our memories about what the real truth really is, especially if it is things that we kind of just push to the side or we forget about, other things, other cures, kind of take over. You know, the day by day, whatever's going on in our life kind of take over our thoughts and we kind of push some things to the back of our mind. And as we go through each sermon every week and new revelations and new revelations and prophecies and what's going on in the news and all kinds of stuff, we kind of just push certain things to the back of our minds. But this right here, We need to do better at realizing, I feel like most of us, need to do better at keeping this information better understood, better acknowledged, and uh, better embraced and accepted. It's extremely important to understand about the Holy Ghost. very, very, very important. In Acts 19, verse 1, and we're going to go down all the way through verse 5, God willing. Verse 1 says, It happened, or it occurred, that while this man named Apollos was at Corinth, the city of Corinth, that Paul, whose correct real name was Apollos, passed through the upper country, and he came to Ephesus, to the town of Ephesus. And he found some disciples. Paul found some disciples. Now, disciples means followers of God or students of God, those that follow God and are learning from God. And many times, disciples are under uh, a male leader, an uh, apostle or a prophet or a, a pastor. Uh, evangelist, somebody that's in the administration, he has students. So I would have students, and Paul had students, and John the Baptizer had students, and Jesus had students. And a disciple is basically a student follower of a man of God that is in an office of the administration. So these were students of somebody, followers of God. In verse 2, Paul, he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Ghost when you believed? When you first believed or when you maybe even committed. This Greek word for believe here sometimes is translated as the word committed in the Alpha and Omega Bible. You don't find that anywhere else. But it's very true that sometimes this Greek word can be translated as committed. Committed and I'm on the verge of thinking about changing it There, it's more than just believing. But sometimes, this Greek word should be translated as belief, which is why it's translated as belief, even in the Alpha and Omega Bible, in many places. But also translated as committed in many places. It, the context, what is talking about, the surrounding verses, that determines how to translate it. And I believe it's probably most likely, I really do believe, I really feel it, that it's committed here. So let's just go ahead and change it right now because it's not talking about when you first believed in God, but rather when you first committed to God. So let's go ahead and change that right now. And Robert will send me a note on that so I can do that in the paperbacks and online as well. So Paul said to them, did you receive the Holy Ghost when you committed it, when you committed it to God? And they said to him, no, we have not even heard whether there is a Holy Ghost. We didn't know that there's a Holy Ghost. And he said, into what then Were you baptized? Into what was you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul Paulus said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in him and also commit to him, who is coming after him, after John. That is in Christ Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Amen. So they were rebaptized. They had already been baptized. And notice the reason they got rebaptized, it had nothing to do with uh, whether they went forward or backward or much of anything else, other than. They didn't understand that the Holy Ghost was different from the Holy Spirit. That's exactly what was occurring. Now how do I know that they did not understand that the Holy Ghost is different from the Holy Spirit? Because they believed in God. They were students of John the Baptizer. Now you know common sense would tell you that John the baptizer would have told them that there's a God, amen, and that God is a spirit. You can't see him. He's invisible, amen. They would have known that. They would have understood that. They would have been taught that. They were students of John the baptizer, who was a great prophet he would not have neglected to have taught his students that God is a spirit. <laughs> and he would not neglected to teach his students that God is a holy God, that God is a holy spirit, that we must worship him, we must reverence him. They knew that was a holy ghost, I mean the holy spirit. Amen? They knew that was a holy spirit. They did not understand that there had become a new manifestation of God's presence. A new manifestation. Something they had never heard of before. We didn't know there was a Holy Ghost, they said. Amen. This is proof, and there's going to be even more proof, too. You just wait. How, how solid it's going to be. Amen. How strong this proof is going to be once you get into a few more verses here later. They did not understand there was a Holy Ghost. That's only possible only if the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost are different. Amen. And notice also that Being baptized in the name of Jesus is connected with this Holy Ghost. To accept the Holy Ghost, they had to be baptized in Jesus' name. And it doesn't say, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. No, but it only says, in the name, or that is, in Jesus. Amen. They got baptized in Jesus. So that even tells you who the Holy Ghost is. Jesus is the Holy Ghost. Amen. If Paul is saying you need the Holy Ghost, and they wasn't baptized in the Holy Ghost, but they was baptized in Jesus, then they tell you then they were baptized in the Holy Ghost. Right, right. They were baptized in the Holy Ghost. In fact, verse 6, and Paul had laid his hands upon them, the Holy Ghost came upon them, and they spoke in tongues and spoke divine words. There was 12 men. So, the Holy Ghost is Jesus. Amen. Now, we'll understand this more here in a minute, but first I want to share... A divine confirmation, praise God. A divine confirmation, praise God. Yesterday I received an email from, I may be pronouncing this wrong, please forgive me if I pronounce it wrong, but I received an email from Ehud, who lives in Algeria, and he had sent me uh, two or three or more emails before this, But this particular email, he said that the groups called the churches of God, he was referring to the descendants of the old worldwide church of God, such as the living church of God, the Philadelphia church of God, the United church of God, those type of groups, who keep the seventh day and the holy days, and stuff like that. But they are lacking, he said, and this is so true, they are lacking the Holy Spirit. That's the term he used. But I know that he was really referring to the Holy Ghost, not the Holy Spirit. This was confirmed when he said, when the same brother said, the power from on high. They're missing the power from on high. Well, that's what the Bible calls the Holy Ghost. So I know he was really talking about the Holy Ghost, and that these groups, these religious groups, don't have the Holy Ghost. Now that's a confirmation to me. Even though he used the wrong term, it was still confirmation to me about this sermon, that I was already working on this sermon that we all need to understand the difference between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost. And a major problem, even among people that have truth, even if they have the truth about the Seventh Day and the Holy Days, Christmas and Easter and the Rapture and Trinity, even if they have all that truth, many of these same groups are still missing the Holy Ghost, as the brother said, and that's true. So it confirmed the sermon because we need to understand we need the Holy Ghost. To have the Holy Ghost, we have to understand what is the Holy Ghost. Amen. We need the Holy Ghost in addition to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Ghost of Jesus Christ would never allow anyone To accept the demonic Assyrian wine names, Yahshua, Yahweh, even Jehovah, the Holy Ghost would prohibit that. The Holy Ghost would speak to you and say, don't say those words in worship. You can say them when you're talking about them. Don't be paranoid and don't be legalistic you can say Yeshua and Yahweh and Jehovah without fear. They're nothing but words. But you should not use those words when you pray to God and when you're referring to God because they are not God's names. Amen. But the Holy Ghost would protect us and help us to understand not to use those names in worship and prayer. The Holy Ghost will also reveal that Jesus did cleanse, he did clean what was previously considered the unclean meats. And that was also given by Brother Ehud as an example. Amen. That, they, that these groups do, do not believe Jesus cleansed the meats. And it takes the Holy Ghost for certain people. I know, I know that a lot of Babylon already understands that Jesus cleansed the meats. So you don't need the Holy Ghost to understand that. But if you have been taught for years that Jesus did not clean the meats, then it does take the Holy Ghost to be delivered from that false doctrine. Amen. The Holy Ghost is the soul of Jesus Christ. who died on the cross, and yet he didn't stay dead. He rose from the dead. And therefore, we use the word ghost and not spirit when we are referring to that part of God who he came to earth, he intermixed with the blood of mankind, through the birth from Mary, he received human blood into human flesh, even though he was God. He had the Holy Spirit because he was God. And but he also had to be baptized to receive a greater measure of the Holy Spirit. And he died on the cross for our sins. And he was, his soul was asleep for three days and three nights. But yet, yeah, when he was asleep for three days and three nights, the world did not end. The world continued to survive. Mankind continued to live. The earth did not end. And so there had to have been a measure of God that was not asleep, that was not dead. And that would have been the Holy Spirit that sent Jesus to the earth. That was part of God that sent the other part of God to the earth that was. That's throughout Scripture, all throughout Scripture. It talks about how God sent his messenger, his vessel, his instrument, his manifestation to earth. Amen. And we'll understand more as we continue to read. I gotta turn up the air conditioner, it's so hot and here. God is good. Let's go to chapter 2. Acts chapter 2. Verse 1. Acts 2, verse 1 through 4. Acts 2, verse 1. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came a heaven from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost, and to speak began to speak. With other tongues or with yeah, other languages, as the Spirit was given them utterance. Now notice it uses the term the Holy Ghost. Please underline verse four where it says the Holy Ghost. Underline the Holy Ghost. And then underline where it says the Spirit. And notice how that's translated differently. The Holy Ghost. And the Spirit. Now, in the Greek language, it's actually the same Greek word when you look at Strums Concordance. However, Strongs' Concordance is not 100% accurate. And it will always give you the exact same spelling for this Greek word in every place in the Bible that it's used. And that's not true. It's not true. There are 12 different ways, I believe it's 12, I might be off a few digits, maybe it was 19, I don't remember for sure, but I'm going to say 12 different ways of spelling this one Greek word, because you spell it a different way depending upon the tense of how you're using the word. And this is being used in two different ways. So I believe that it would have been spelled two different ways. Strong succorance won't tell you that it's ever spent, that it is ever spelt in a different way, but it is throughout vowel, at least probably 12 different ways, nine, 12, 19, whatever the number is, different ways, many different ways, let's say, many different ways. So you gotta understand, strong succorance it is not as specific and exact as what you think it
1: is. And
0: there's so much about this verse, so much about this verse, I will try to get it all in. Let's also look at the last word of verse 4, the word utterance. We're going to change the word utterance. Two, we're going to put it as proper, elegant speech. You can cross out the word utterance, and you can write in proper, elegant speech. Now, elegant. Make sure this is right. Is Robert? E l e g a n t, guy. Eloquent. E l e g a n t. Proper, elegant speech. Praise the Lord! I wish He'd give that to me. Woo! Praise God! Woo! I need to pray for proper, elegant speech. So it says that they were filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, meaning other languages, a language that is not their normal language, as the Spirit was giving them proper, eloquent speech, speech of that language. So in other words, they were not just speaking gibberish, nonsense. They wasn't just going, but rather they were speaking a true language language that they had never learned. They didn't know the language. But they were able to speak it properly, eloquently. Wow, amazing. Now, how come the Bible translations don't tell you that? How come New American Standard, NIV, and King James that none of them properly because they don't have proper speech I guess they do not properly translate this therefore it's hidden from us but that's a pretty important translation it wasn't just utterance it was proper pronunciation proper elegant speech of a different language that they did not know Now, as I said, the Greek word for spirit and ghost in this verse is the same word, but I believe that it probably would have been spelt different, as it is spelt many different ways throughout the Bible, regardless of what strong occurrence claims. Now, the reason I know, even without knowing how it was spelt, the two different cases here there's another reason why I know that they're different and that is if they were the same the way that they would have written it in Greek is they would have used the Greek word that is Greeks for number 846 Greeks for number 846 they would have used instead of using the word spirit the Greek eight forty six is autos, autos, and it means the same as the same as what you're already talking about. So if the spirit and the ghost were the same, in the Greek language they would have written in verse four. They would have written, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues, as autos, was given them proper speech. But it didn't say that. But that's exactly the rule of language. And you see that all throughout the Bible in many verses. Oh, man, tons and tons of verses. Any time that it refers back to the same word that it already used, it would have said autos same as what I've already said. But it doesn't use that here. It does not say the autos was given them utterance, but rather the pneuma was given them utterance. The Greek word for spirit and goes here is pneuma. It starts with the letter P but you don't pronounce the letter P. It's pneuma. And the pneuma means breath or wind or spirit. Breath or the wind or spirit or air. Now, the Greek 846 autos is found in this verse, but not in the right place to refer back to the Holy Ghost. It only uses autos in this verse only when referring back to them, them utterance. So, to help you understand that, here's what it actually said in Greek, verse 4. And they were all filled with the pneuma, or the the holy pneuma, and began to speak with other tongues, as the pneuma was given autos, proper, elegant speech. So, you see, where the word autos is, is where it says that the pneuma was given them, was given autos. So autos was referring back to those people, they, them, those people that we're already talking about. So you see how it was used? And if it was the same Spirit and the Holy Ghost, if those were the same, it would have used autos twice. It would have said this. They were all filled with the holy Numa and began to speak of other tongues as the Octos was given Octos, proper eloquent speech. It would have used it twice to say we're talking about the same people and the same pneuma. That's the way it would have been done in Greek, but it didn't do it that way. And that's how I know that it is different, that the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit is different. Amen. The Holy Ghost as I said is the soul of the son of mankind Jesus being the son of mankind the vessel that the Holy Spirit sent to the earth he died he slept he rose again he is the soul of the Holy Spirit that never died he died but that was a whole measure of the Holy Spirit that did now, a few months ago, I did a sermon that talked more detail about the difference between soul and spirit. There is a difference between your soul and your spirit. And that was connected with, I believe, the crystals and stuff like that, your body energy and how your body energy is separate from the other parts of your existence. The word soul is the Greek word psyche. Your psyche is your soul. That's your mind. Now, there are two psyches in God. There are two souls in God. That's the soul of the Father, which we also call the Holy Spirit. And then there is also the soul of the Son of God, the Son of mankind. That is a separate different soul. And this is important to understand, it's very important to understand, because the soul of the Holy Spirit did not die and did not sleep for three days and three nights and did not believe. But the soul of the Son of God, which is also known as the soul of the son of mankind, that is only part of God. And that part of God did sleep for three days and three nights and did mix with the blood of man and did die for our sins. So those are two different psychics. Those are two different souls. That's why Jesus submitted to and prayed to the soul in heaven, Amen. Is two different souls, but that does not make God two different people. Nor does it make God two different spirits, because spirit and soul are two different things. So you cannot say that God is two different spirits, because soul and spirit has two different definitions. And because God is not two spirits, we cannot say that God is two people. Because all of this is intertwined; They're not fully separate. They're not fully separate. They are still connected at the hip. They are still one God. Now the word spirit, like I said, is pneuma. And that means the breath. The breath or the wind that comes out of your lungs, the breath. Now, there's only one of these breaths. They share the same breath. The two souls share the same breath. There's only one breath. The Bible says we're baptized into one breath, one spirit. The holy breath was spoken of throughout most of the New Ta- Old Testament. The Holy Spirit is the holy breath. This is not a third soul. Soul and spirit are separate, distinct, different meanings. So you don't have a third breath. You don't even have a second breath. There's only one breath. We're baptized into one breath. There's one breath. There's one spirit. Now this one breath that we call the Holy Spirit was in both souls. So they share the same breath of life. Therefore, they are not two different gods. And we can't even say that it's a third part because both souls existed from the same wind, from the same energy. Now let's go over to the book of John, and you're going to see in John chapter 7 amazing, amazing confirmation That the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit were different. John 7, verse 39. John 7, verse 39. That's on page 110. Page 110. John 7 verse 39, this was on the last day, the eighth day of the Feast of Tabernacles. Jesus stood in the midst of the congregation with the book of Isaiah, and he said in verse 39, but this he spoke, Uh, this is talking about, this is what John wrote about what Jesus said, and this is not a quotation of Jesus. We need to back up a little bit. Um. So we can get what Jesus said so we can understand what John said verse 37 let's go to verse 37 verse 37 now it was the last day the great day of the siesta meaning the last day of the feast of tabernacles the eighth day of the feast of tabernacles Jesus stood and spoke loudly meaning in the congregation he spoke loudly so that everybody in the building could hear him. And he said, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He didn't say, let him go to somebody else and drink. But he said, Come to me and drink. So that right there, he was calling himself God. Absolutely. Amen. And especially being on the last day of the feast, because all the people in the building would have understood that the Fiesta of Tabernacles has a connection to water, and they would have drawn special water even during the feast, just as a symbolism of life, of salvation. There was a theme of water connected with salvation. During the Feast of Tabernacles, and I believe all the holy days, especially that one, and throughout the book of John. The book of John has a theme of water in several, several, several chapters of John, has a theme of water. So, this is very important that this is where it was written, is in the book of John. You don't find this written in Matthew, Mark, or Luke, it's only in John. Because John has the theme of water in several chapters. So understanding all that, when he says in a group of people, come to me and drink, everybody in the building would have recognized he is calling himself God. He's saying he's the water of life. He is saying that he is the one that can save you. That That was a... explosive statement when he he could just hear everybody's mouth drop to the floor when he said this. Everybody would have been, what did he just say? And verse 38, he he also says this, he who commits to me, he didn't say he who commits to somebody else, but he that commits to me as the scripture said from his innermost being the flow rivers of living water. He says that if you commit to Him that you will have salvation, that you will have living waters. That means water that will let you live forever as He said in this same book of John. In the same book of John, He tells the woman at the well that had seven husbands in sin. He tells that woman at the well if you drink of the water I give you, you live forever. Again, he was calling himself God. Amen. The book of John is known for having a theme of importance on God's, on Jesus' divinity. More than Matthew, more than Mark, more than Luke. The book of John is known for More than anything else, this is what John is known for. More than anything else, the book of John is known for focusing on the supernatural godness of Jesus. So if you want to prove that Jesus is God, if there's any book of the Bible that you could use, it is John. Because John focuses on the divinity, the supernatural godness of Jesus. Even saying in John 1, the very first thing John says when he starts writing down on paper is that Jesus is God, that Jesus existed from the very beginning, that the word was God and the Word was God and the Word was God. He that's the very first thing Jesus that John wrote. And you know what? John was the cousin of Jesus. No, that was John the baptizer. Yeah, so he was not the cousin of Jesus. I have to take that back because John the baptizer was the cousin of Jesus, but not John the apostle. This is a different John. But nevertheless, it's still true that when John the apostle very first wrote down on paper that we know of about Jesus, the very first thing he writes is that Jesus is God. Amen. So always remember that about the book of John. That's why you'll see just the book of John all by itself, given out by missionaries door to door and on the street, given out the book of John, because that is the book to prove that Jesus is God. So it says here in verse 39, but this he spoke Of the Spirit, whom those who commit to him were to receive, for the ghost was not yet given, because Jesus is not yet glorified. Amen. Now again, the word Spirit, if you want to underline the word Spirit in verse 39, and underline the word Ghost in that same verse, again, in both places, is the same Greek word pneuma. But yet, yeah, if you read it, it's saying, it says straight out that these are different. Does it not? It does, don't it? it? says straight out that these are different. But he spoke of the pneuma from whom those who commit to him were to receive. For the pneuma was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. There's two different ways you can take that. Nevertheless, you could be saved by committing to him and being baptized in his name But the context is like that there is a separation of when you could receive the Holy Ghost. That's the point. When you could receive the Holy Ghost. Amen. So if the Holy Spirit always existed, which it did, then how can the Holy Ghost not yet be given? That is key. How can the Holy Ghost not yet be given when he said that? The Holy Ghost could only be given only after he was glorified, meaning after his death and resurrection. So if the Holy Ghost could only be given only after he was resurrected, glorified, then the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit has to be different. Amen. Absolutely true. So it's the time frame that proves that they were different. And that is why it is translated separately there. Now again, the word the word pneuma is written twice in this verse. But in the Greek, they would not have done that. They would not have written pneuma twice if it was the same. Because the second time they spoke, they spoke about it, they would have said autos, meaning the previous word that I've already used, I'm speaking of again, but they didn't do that. Amen. So I believe they would have spelled it different in the original manuscripts. And I believe because it was a different spelling, it would have been even a different pronunciation as well, of course. Amen. Now, it's also important to understand that everybody on earth has at least a very small measure of the Holy Spirit, even lost people. I know that some of you never heard that before. I've said it in sermons before. But some of you are listening for the first time and not ha- and have not been listening for a long time. So it's very important I say this, and this is in the Bible. It is in the Bible. That the Spirit of God is in all men. The Bible says that. The Spirit of God is in all mankind. Remember that in Adam... That God breathed into Adam, and Adam became a living soul. Now, that breath of life did not leave Adam five minutes after God breathed it into him, right? The breath of life stayed within Adam. But when God breathed the breath of life into Adam, Adam became a living soul. A living psyche. So his psyche and his soul were distinct within Adam. Amen? You get that? Yeah. Your mind, your consciousness, your consciousness is separate from your breath. You could be breathing without having a consciousness. So they are separate distinct amen now that breath of life is the Holy Spirit and it is also what is known in Buddhism and new age and witchcraft and other forms like in crystals it is known as the universal energy it is also known as the uh, uh, let's see give me some words Robert You've been my student for quite a while. You can give me some words. Spit them out. Life force. The life force. Thank you very much. The life force, the universal energy, The, the uh, and the Reich energy, and the argon energy. Amen. Thank you. So all these different terms by different people, by different scientists, by different doctors, by different relief, uh, uh, religious systems, All of them are, when they use general terms like that, they're referring to the energy of life itself, the energy that is in even animals and plants and trees and herbs and flowers and gardens. Every living thing on this earth has a spirit, an energy about it. Every living thing has the Holy Spirit. Animals have the Holy Spirit. And therefore, just only having the Holy Spirit does not save you. You can only be saved. This is why this is important. Even the wicked have a little bit of the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is what gives you life. It is what gives you life, even upon conception. But you have to have the Holy Ghost in order to be saved. The Holy Ghost, the measure of God, the part of God that came through the blood of Mary was born as the Son of God, was born of the Son of Mankind, mixed with the blood of mankind to save us from our sins. We cannot be saved without the blood of Christ. So when you say the Holy Spirit, you're not referring to the blood of Christ. You have to use the word ghost to make a determination, a separation between the spirit that never died for us and the part of God that did die for us. It's very, very important. now. As I said, that the part that died for us is called the Holy Ghost. That is a separate soul from the soul of God that did not die for us. But they share the same breath. We all share the same breath. Amen. But especially uh, when referring to Jesus and the Father, it's the same breath. Now, let's turn to the book of Hebrews now. Hebrews chapter 2. Page 232. Page number
1: 232.
0: Hebrews chapter 2, verse 5. Please
1: bear with me here.
0: Hebrews 2. We're going to go from verse 5 down through the end of that chapter. Verse 18. So we're going to start in verse 5. Hebrews 2, verse 5. For he did not, he, the Father, the Holy Spirit, did not subject to angels the world to come, concerning which we are speaking. But one has testified somewhere, saying, What is mankind, that you remember him, or consider him? or what is the Son of Mankind, that you are concerned about Him. You have made Him a little lower than the angels. You have crowned Him with glory and honor, and you have appointed Him over the works of your hands. You have put all things in subjection under his feet. For in subjecting all things to him, he left nothing that is not subject to him. But now we do not yet see all things subjected or surrendered to him. But we do not see him who is made for a little while lower than the angels, namely Jesus. Because of the suffering of death crowned with glory and honor, so by the grace of Theos he might taste death for everyone. So it's saying that Jesus was made a little lower than the angels, until everything is subjected to him, until everything to all creation is surrendered to him and conquered by him. And this is also spoken about in 1 Corinthians 15 about all things need to come under his authority, be conquered by him, be put under his authority. He needs to conquer all things before we get into the eighth day, paradise. Now Jesus is the Father. He is God. He created all things. That's what John 1 says. That is what Colossians says. That's what the Bible says all throughout the Bible. He is the one that delivered the Israelites. He is the one that spoke the Ten Commandments. Jesus said he was God over and over and over and over. He was God. And God was not made. But the Son of God was made by bringing that part of God into the body of Mary. That part had to be developed in the womb of Mary. It had to develop skin, blood, bones, body parts that had to mature had to be birthed into this world. In that way, in that way, that part of God was made. He had to become into the flesh. He had become a son of God and a son of mankind. And because he was a son of mankind, he was temporarily made lower than the angels. Temporarily. But it also says that this is only temporarily when it says until all things are put under subjection to him. Amen. So that means only temporarily. Until all things are subjected unto him. Until everything is conquered by him. And then he will no longer be lower than the angels. Amen. And why would he conquer all things if he's not God? Amen. Is God going to allow a human to control, be in charge of all the universe and not God? No. The book of Isaiah says he will not share his glory with anyone. That's what it says. Amen? Amen? So it doesn't make sense that God would allow a human who is only human to conquer all the universe and control all things and everything be put under subjection to him. So we see here that there is a difference between the Holy Spirit and the Holy Ghost because the Holy Ghost was also the son of mankind, but the Holy Spirit was never the son of mankind. Amen? And it says here in verse 10, For it was fitting for him, for whom are all things, and through whom are all things. That means he created everything in bringing many sons to glory to perfect the author of their salvation through sufferings. Who is the author of our salvation? It's Jesus. He is the Alpha. The Omega. Jesus called Himself the Alpha and the Omega twice in the Book of Revelation. So if He's the Author of our salvation through suffering, it says in bringing many sons to glory, and really that's referring even to daughters. It's referring to everybody. We got to understand this. This is a clue right here. This is a clue to something huge. I'm about to say. It's going to take some of your breath. (laughs) Some of you are about, your, your mouth is about to drop. You're going to gasp here. You're going to be, oh, what did he just say here in just a few seconds? That we are also sons of God, even as Jesus also is the Son of God. Jesus is the son of God that we also are sons of God and he came that to bring many sons many sons of who sons of God amen to bring many sons to glory even as Jesus was glorified the bible says Jesus was the first of the first fruits First fruit means a harvest, a harvest of sows, a harvest of sakes, a harvest of sows. That we are all, in symbolism, we are all part of a farm of souls that God is raising and we will be harvested into God's kingdom, brought into his kingdom. And he is, Jesus is the first of the first fruits, first of the harvest. He was the first one to ever go to heaven. The first one of what to go to heaven? Man. He was the first man to go to heaven. Jesus was man and God. Both at the same time. He bled and died. He was a man. Come on now. He bled and died. He was a man. But he was also God because he created all things, and the Bible says so more than once. Amen? And if he was God, then he was also the Father. They had the same breath. They were the same spirit, but two different souls. We can't say he was two different gods because then we would be breaking what the Bible says. The Bible says that we have one Lord, one God. Amen. Now it says in verse 11, For both he who sanctifies and those who are sanctified are all from one, from one Father. For the which reason he is not ashamed to call them, guess what? Brethren or brothers. And this is what would make your mouth drop. I've never in my life ever heard Jesus called our brother. But Jesus is our brother because he was born in the human flesh. He had flesh and blood. He was called the second Adam, which means mankind, man. If he was the second Adam, then he is our brother through Adam. He had descendancy from King David, from Tamar, from uh, Rehab, from Abraham, from Judah. Amen? And if he had descendancy through all those humans, ain't this what the Bible teaches? Ain't this why it calls him the son of mankind? In one sense, he is our brother, and it says that he is not ashamed. It says here, he is not ashamed to call them brethren, brothers, family. Amen. Saying, in verse 12, I will proclaim your name to my brethren. In the midst of the congregation, I will sing your praise. Amen. In other words, it says that Jesus would stand in the midst of the congregation. Whoa, 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 whoa. Whoa, whoa. Yeah. He stood. Jesus did stand in the midst, in the middle of the congregation of the church, and proclaimed the name of God. He proclaimed the Father. That's what that means. He he worshiped the Father. He spoke loudly in the middle of the congregation, worshiping God, praising God. Amen. He was not embarrassed to worship God. Amen. Among his brothers. Amen. And verse thirteen, And again I will put my trust in him, and again, behold, I and the children whom Theos has given me. Amen. Since the children share in flesh and blood, he himself likewise also partook, partook, participated of the same, that through death he might render powerless him who had the power of death, that is the devil, and might free those who through fear of death were subject to slavery all their lives. God is so good. And it says, verse 16, for surely, for absolutely, he does not give up, he does not give help to angels, but he gives help to the descendants of Abraham in other words God is working with mankind and mankind is the one that needs help not the angels amen us humans need help the descendants of Abraham and Jesus is a descendant of Abraham verse 17 therefore he had to be made like his brethren in all things, meaning fingers and toes, so that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to theos, to make propitiation or repay for the sins of the people. Amen. For since he himself was tempted, Read this right here in verse 18. This is huge. For since he himself was tempted in that which he has suffered, or even tested in that which he was suffered, he is able to come to the aid, to the help of the descendants of Abraham, to the help of those who are tested and tempted. Amen. Tested and tempted is the same word many times. Jesus, God, had to come in the flesh so that when it comes Judgment Day, nobody will have this ridiculous excuse. The wicked might would say, but God, you never suffered. You don't, you don't know what it's like to be a man. You don't know what it's like to have raging hormones in your body. You don't know what it's like to have to on. You don't know what it's like to be tempted by all these whores. You don't know what it's like to be tempted. You've not lived in the flesh. God came in the flesh so that the wicked would not have that excuse amen, because God was tempted in all things as we are. God felt all the temptations and the tests and the trials and the sufferings. God lived on this wicked earth and felt the pain and the suffering and the mocking and the laughing and the mock accumulatory and the mocking. God suffered emotionally and mentally and was tested spiritually as well. He is well equated, as the Bible says, well
1: equated,
0: equated with our sufferings. Amen. Praise God. Thank you, Aaron. So,
1: <laughs> praise God.
0: i have to get Robert to speak up for me a little bit more often. <laughs> Talk to your hair anytime, man. Get up here and preach, man. <laughs> You've got to come up here as God. Help me a little bit. Fill my mouth with some proper, proper, eloquent speech. Amen. Praise God. Moses needed his brother to help him with his proper speech, and I need brother Robert for that sometimes. Because I get carried away and want to speak too fast, and that's what stuttering is all about—about about your your thoughts or like your feet jumbling up over each other if you're not watching what you're doing and you get too excited tripping over your feet and I trip over my words cuz I get so excited God is good let's go to Matthew 25 Matthew 25 verse 40 That's page 38. Matthew 25, verse uh, 40. Ugh. Verse 40 says, Matthew 25, verse 40, The king will answer and say to them, Amen, which means truly, this is true, I say to you, to the extent that you did it to one of these brothers of mine, even to the least, you did it to me. That if you clothed them, if you fed them, if you helped them, if you did these good things to these people, they're my brothers, and you did it to me too. Jesus is saying that he is our brother. Now, that is not proof that he's not the father. Because remember, only part of him came to the earth. But he also went back to heaven too, amen? And he was glorified, amen? And the Father and the Son shared the same breath, amen? And Jesus, the Bible says, Jesus created all things. Read it for yourself in the Bible. And Jesus called himself the Alpha and the Omega, the author and finisher of our faith, amen? And the Bible says there's only one that can save us, and that's God. And that's in the Old Testament. So how can Jesus save us if he's not God? And the book of Isaiah says that he will not share his glory with anyone else. But yet Jesus absolutely shares the glory of God. And Jesus, the Bible says, is the reflection of God. He is the graven image of God. He is God. He is the Father. So do not use this brother thing against God. Do not use the Bible verses that he is our brother to prove that he's not God because that don't work. That don't work. He is our brother, but he is also God. Just as he is also, he's both the son of man and the son of God. You can be two things. Amen. You can be two things at one time. Amen. But the reason we need to realize that he is also our brother is because salvation is only achieved only if God became human. That's the only way you can get saved. It's only if God became human and endured all the same trials and sufferings and even more than what we do. Because he was tested. to see if he is worthy. He even examined himself. He even tested himself to see if he was worthy. How much more of an example for us that we should examine ourselves to see if we are worthy. Amen. And we must be proven Worthy, even as he proves himself that he is worthy. Amen. Brothers and sisters, we are being tested and we must pass the test. We must do everything that we can to pass the test, like that song we sing to put on the whole armor of God so that when The day of evil comes, which is already upon us, that we may be able to withstand all the fiery darts of the enemy. Amen. We're in a war. And if you find yourself in a war, ill-equipped without good equipment, don't you reach for equipment? Amen. If you find yourself under fire, you find yourself on a battlefield, and people are shooting at you, and you've not got a shirt on, and you ain't got no pants on, you ain't got your boots on, you find yourself under attack from the enemy surrounding your camp, you better put some pants on, or at least something, and then grab your gun and fight for survival. Because we are surrounding, the Bible says, that the devil is like a lion walking around in a circle around the camp, waiting to devour the enemy, I mean to devour us. We need to put on the protective armor of God, the helmet of salvation. Take your hands and actually put it on your head and on your ears every day if this is what you need to do. If that is what you need to do, then do it to help get yourself, your mind, your psyche, your thinking, your head, your brain equipped, then do it if that is what you need to withstand all the darts of the enemy, the missiles of the enemy, the attacks of the enemy against your mind. Put on that breastplate, the armor of righteousness, the belt of truth, your feet shining with the gospel of peace of Jesus Christ. The shield of faith. To own all of the different elements of the armor of God, which is all symbolic is spiritual of how you think, of how you act, of how you conduct yourself in life and holiness, amen, to be able to fight as part of the army of God. And God has given every one of us an opportunity, and I say it, opportunity, to be part of his army, and that is a high honor to be a citizen. (laughs) Praise the Lord!
1: It is a high honor to be a
0: citizen. Watch that movie, Starship Troopers. Ooh, that's a good movie. It is a high honor to be a citizen of God's kingdom because when you are a citizen of God's kingdom, you cannot be a citizen without being part of his army, amen? Watch that movie, Matt, Starship Troopers, amen? It is a great movie, and I don't normally like movies that have a lot of blood in it, but it's just spider blood, it's just bug, it's about a, uh, a race of bugs, it's corny, it's a corny movie, but it is an incredible good movie. And a special treat for you guys, too. Really good shower scene. But that's okay. Because you know what? There is nothing wrong with nudity. There's nothing wrong with seeing the female breasts. There's nothing wrong with seeing nipples. All it is is milk jugs. That's all it is. Sexy milk jugs, but that's still only milk jugs. And we have got to realize that God is not as legalistic. He is not a prune. He is not as legalistic as what a lot of people are. Amen. But in that movie, you can't be a citizen without being part of the, the army. And that's where it used to be, even in the United States. For men, you used to have to be part of the army for, I believe, one year at one time. They should have never done away with that. And it's still the same way in many nations today. Many nations on earth, every man has to be in the army for a year, has to. And I believe that's the way it should be. So that men would be mature and responsible. Not afraid. Amen. Let me make sure I got everything covered. There are two more verses here. Let's get through this really quickly. John 3. I referred to this in passing just a few minutes ago. John 3. That. No man is going to heaven except for Jesus, who is the Son of Man. John 3, verse 13, page 104. John 3, verse 13. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the son of mankind. So why would that be? Except for that Jesus is more than the son of mankind and also that he is the first of the first fruits. He is the first of the harvest of all mankind. Amen. He is the first of the harvest. And when we think of Pentecost, tomorrow's Pentecost. The countdown started during the week of Passover Unleavened Bread. And that's in the spring. Passover, unleavened bread is very extremely early in the spring. And the priest would wave the sheaf of grain in the sky. And we would count the 50 days and come into the summer for Pentecost. A lot of what you plant in the spring won't be ready for harvest until the summer. Different plants are different. Some plants have to be planted earlier. Some plants have to be planted later. But you can't plant it and harvest it on the same day. And we'll talk more about this tomorrow morning but tomorrow morning I'm gonna be half asleep even as I am right now but even worse and uh, I need your prayers for tomorrow morning because I'm not accustomed these days anymore I used to be I used to have to be at work at something like 3 in the morning on at least one job and another job 4 30 5 o'clock in the morning so I used to be I used to be a person that was accustomed to doing that when I was much younger. But I've gotten out of practice of doing that for more than one reason. Let's go to one last verse, 1 Corinthians 15. Page 190. Page 190, thank you very much. Page 190. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 28. This is the chapter that, <coughs> chapter that is known as the resurrection chapter. Always remember 1 Corinthians 15 so that you can remember the resurrection chapter. This is a very, 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 very important chapter. Verse 28 says, when all things are subjected to him, which we just read about subjection, that means when everything is surrendered to him or conquered by him, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the one who subjected all things to him. So that theos will become whole. So that he will become whole. That means that God did become separated, right? If he's got to become whole, then he got separated. So there's got to be more than one part of God. You still have only one God, but more than one part of God. And the Son of God, the Son of Mankind, will, even He will be subjected to the greater measure that He always did submit Himself to. Amen. Now, Jesus will always exist. Always. He called Himself the Alpha and the Omega which means that he is eternal. He actually does not have an end. He is the eternal. He will always exist. Always exist. But the man part of him, human part, the human part will not always exist because the human part of him will be engulfed by the greater measure of himself the lake of fire he will not cease to exist Jesus said that he would be with us in paradise that he will be our temple that we will live inside him that he will be the light of That he will be the living waters. Jesus said that he will be the living waters. And Jesus said that in that eighth day, in that paradise, he will call us sons. That he will be a father to us. Amen. Amen. He will not cease to exist. But the part that died for us will no longer have to be separate from his main presence. You won't need that part anymore. After we have achieved perfection, purification, completeness, then you will no longer need a suffering servant. Jesus in the flesh, Jesus as the Son, the Son of mankind, the Son of God, Jesus as the Son is a servant and will always be a servant of the greater measure of him until the servant is no longer needed. And once the servant is no longer needed, why would you fast? Why would you suffer? Why would you serve? Once all things are subjugated, once all things are conquered, even death itself is conquered, then you no longer need the vessel. It's just like I've got tools in my toolbox. When I need to work on the car, I will go and get the tools out of the toolbox. I will work on my car. But then once the work is done, once there is nothing left to be fixed, the tools can be put away. I don't need them no more. The body of Christ will not be needed in paradise. We will only need the Spirit. We won't need the ghosts anymore. We won't need the blood anymore. We don't even need a remembrance of suffering. We won't even need a remembrance of repentance. The Bible says that these things will not even come to mind. We will not remember the dead. We will not remember that anyone died in the lake of fire. We will not remember that the devil ever existed. We would never remember that we was ever tempted or tried. And if we never remember any of that, then we won't even remember that there was a need for the atonement of our sins. If we're not going to remember, we ever did sin. So. Because if you remember sin, then you will have sorrow in your heart. And that won't be paradise. There will be no more death, there will be no more suffering, there will be no more tears, there will be no more sorrow or grief or anxiety. To have complete perfection, you must end all remembrance of suffering and servitude, bondage and every yoke. and all blood, and all flesh, and all suffering, even the suffering of Christ on the cross must be forgotten. or well, otherwise, you would still have sorrow and you won't have paradise. But none of this can be accomplished until we have two harvests of souls, two resurrections, Great tribulation. We have to have more suffering than we have endured yet. And we have seen nothing yet. The magnitude of suffering that you're going to see in the latter part of this year, you cannot even imagine. We have only begun the sufferings of this life and you have better pull up your pants spiritually symbolically mentally pull up your panties and some of you me I need to get the panties off yourself stop being pussy with grow some balls and be a man and the women need to both learn their roles as well as to subject themselves to God more than subjecting themselves to lost men. Must I subject myself to the devil or a worker of the devil? Must I subject myself to a lost soul? Must I subject myself To someone that does not know God and rejects God? Absolutely not. No man, no woman on this earth should subject themselves to a lawless, disobedient, disrespectful fool that rejects God. I don't care what Paul said or Peter said, either one. I only care what God himself said. And God never did allow a woman or man, either one, to be subject to a lawless person for the rest of their life and never escape bondage. Jesus is all about deliverance, setting yourself free from bondage. Amen. Jesus is all about leaving family and friends, husband and wife and children to serve the Lord. Amen. And if you're not willing to take up your cross and follow him and deny yourself and deny your husband, your wife, and your children, your parents, your grandchildren, your brother, your sister, your boyfriend, your girlfriend, if you're not willing to surrender anything and everything and everyone, then you are not worthy. We must examine ourselves to see if we are in the faith. We must examine ourselves to see if we are serious about salvation. And if you're not serious, then get out of the kitchen and let somebody else cook. Amen? And if the woman won't cook, then the man about to cook. And if the man can't do it, then the woman about to do it. And if the man won't preach, the woman better do it. Because... At the end of the day, we neither have penises nor vagina, vaginas, either one. At the end of the day, there won't be any such thing in paradise. So at the end of the day, whether you have a penis or a vagina, either one, you to put God first, and not man, and not woman, and not penis, and not vagina, but rather God first. Amen. This is the gospel of life. Amen. If anyone thirsts, let them go to Jesus Christ. Not to the husband. Not to the head of the house. Not to Pastor Tim. But let them come to Jesus Christ. For he is the water of life. Amen. But you also must Follow God's lead, and I tell you, God, speak forth the word of God. Amen. I speak forth the word of God, and God does speak through his servants, the prophets. It's what the Bible says. It's what the Bible says. People need to confess their sins. If you want to stay in self-pride, stubbornness, that's not the way of salvation. Repentance and coming to Jesus Christ, carrying your cross and denying yourself, is about humbling yourself and being able to swallow your pride and say, you know what, I was wrong. And repent of your sins. Repent of what you did wrong. Repent of putting family first. Regina and your sister both you put family first instead of God. Repent. Agni you put Babylon first instead of God. Repent. Michael foolishness, internet conspiracy theories instead of God first. Being disobedient to the apostle of God. Agni, disobedient to the Apostle of God. Sagina, disobedient to the Apostle of God. Lisa, disobedient to the Apostle of God. Anthony, disobedient to the Apostle of God. People have no fear of God. Amen. Time that we get serious. And the gospel is not a prosperity gospel. It is not a gospel of how you can climb the ladder and trample under feet people just so that you can be successful. It's not about money and career and education. Amen. We need unity in the church. We need more congregations to come under this umbrella of this administration. And I ask that all of you please pray for that, for more pastors and congregations to come under the umbrella, the covering of this congregation, of this ministry, of this administration. Because that's what the church needs. I'm not trying to build myself an empire, but it's what the church needs. The church needs structure, organization, administration, and unity of doctrine. It needs leadership, and for all of that to happen, some of these congregations and different people around the world, they need to come under the umbrella of this administration so there can be unity and organization get us together, organized. We need to get organized. Amen. And we must have unity of doctrine. Pray for it, please. Tomorrow morning, 7 o'clock, sharp, we'll have to have somebody play the, the trumpet tomorrow. Let's not forget it, the shofar, but get that out so we don't forget it. You can just leave this Bible Out here for the morning, Uh, just that one. Shofar on top, so I don't forget it. But what made me think if we got below the shofar tomorrow is I was thinking of the bugler.
1: Bugler.
0: Thank you. The bugler guy that plays in the the trumpets, uh, the taps. Or whatever it is in the morning. What do they play in the morning, Brittany. Revolvy. They play the Revolvy. That's the wake-up song. Everybody get dressed and get out here and get in line and line up. Amen. We're in boot camp. We are in boot camp. I know I get very strong sometimes. I know I get. Uh, I know I flex my muscles at certain times and I get strong. But I tell you what, that's what's needed. That is what needed. We don't need wimps for leaders. We need the administration to put their foot down, say it the way it is, and not water down the gospel, not not filter it, not water it down. the, the, the word of God has to be spoken with boldness, and sin must stood against. That's what the administration is for, amen. At the same time, I don't want to be legalistic and there's already too much legalism in the church. And that's another reason we need administration. It is all in line. It is mature. We need more maturity. Please pray for discernment, more discernment. Please pray for more understanding, spiritual empowerment. Pray for all the new people coming into the ministry. Pray for Ehud and the congregation that he attends, for them, all of them, to come under the umbrella of this ministry. Pray for B.J. in India and the congregation that he attends for all of them to come under the umbrella of this ministry. Pray for my wife, Brittany. She very much needs your prayer. Be honest with you. She struggles spiritually, emotionally, mentally, and physically in every way. We need to lift her up in prayer and scream out her name in prayer. We need more screaming in prayer. We need people to go out in the middle of the woods and scream and holler and shout to God. Amen. We need more tears in the church. Amen. 7 o'clock tomorrow morning for Pentecost special services. Amen please be praying for that sermon and for that worship service I do encourage people to have a special meal for Pentecost anything you want to eat as long as, long as it is not haval. pray for brother meekness that that is stuck in the United Arab immigrants for God's will about what he needs to do, whether he should stay there, go back to Zimbabwe, go to South Africa and win, that God would lead him in that. Sometimes we always want to follow what we want to do, but what we want to pray about is God's will. What is God's will? the so where meekness is to go and win. What is God's will in that? That's why we need to pray. For direction for that. If anybody has any questions about today's sermon, I do encourage you first to read again the article that's been on the website for years about the difference between the Holy Ghost and the Holy Spirit, and that is at I Saw the Light Pyre. P O W E R dot H T M L. Right? the so Light like Ministries dot com slash Pyre dot H T M L. I, I called it the name of the address of it power because it's the power of the Holy Ghost. Very important. Okay, thank you very much. Thank you for staying. Robert's got to say something.
1: Yeah, that was one of the last articles I was reviewing in the Spanish translation. I noticed a that, thing that, that some of these languages
0: they don't have different words for folks. Okay. So Robert said that was one of the last pages that he was looking while he's doing the holy uh, while he's doing the Spanish translation of the website, which will be done soon, and very soon we're going to have a Spanish translation of the entire website. Amen. And It's not going to be perfect, but it's going to be a huge, huge um, development and opportunity for the church. Amen. So he was saying in certain languages there's not a difference between ghost and spirit so we're going to have we're going to have to talk about that later today and rectify that see what you've already done what needs to be done uh, just like in Greek it's the same word so that makes sense that it would also be the same word in Spanish for Spanish is related to Greek but we can rectify that even if we have to just rectify in notes somehow or another We'll see what we have to do everybody please be praying for the Spanish translation, um, I know I have no doubt that this is going to uh, bring a lot of people across the world into Jesus Christ. It's going to be an amazing thing to watch as we see more and more people coming into Jesus Christ in South America, and Mexico, and the United States, and Spain, across the world. Because Spanish is like number two or number three most spoken language in the world. So this is a this is huge. Let's pray about it. Amen. Pray for it, please. Pray for my energy and my strength. I have a lot of work to do. Amen. Okay, I'll let you go. God bless you, everyone. And the congregation said, Amen. Amen.